Glory Days fans, there was a time when insurance wasn't considered a necessary evil, but a source for communal good. Branch is working hard to restore insurance back to that original intent. Branch harnesses the power of community to make insurance affordable for everyone, like it used to be. They make it easy, just two quick questions, and they'll get you an instant price on home or auto insurance quicker than any other provider. Branch is bringing insurance back to its roots. Your price is waiting at ourbranch.com forward slash glory. That's O-U-R branch.com forward slash glory. We're going to kick their ass and we're going to wipe the floor with them, right? <laughs> um, you know, that's what I wanted to say, but yeah, lessons learned. <laughs> the Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell and presented by Branch Insurance. Coverage you need, savings you deserve. It's going to be epic. It's going to be historic. It's the clash of the superpowers, and we can't wait. All eyes tonight on Long, Lean, and Lanky Jones. Cardell Jones, who is making just his second... Welcome, Buckeye fans. It's Chris Caldwell, and you're listening to another episode of the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, with your co-hosts and former standouts from the 2014 National Champions, receiver Evan Spencer and linebacker Joshua Perry. Guys, how are we doing today? Figuring it out. What's up? How are you? Doing good, guys. I mean, how can you not? We're on a serious upswing. Right. We've got, uh, unlike last week, as we record this, we're scheduled to have, thank goodness, <laughs> Buckeye football this Saturday as yeah. Ohio State takes their rightful spot in the Big Ten well, Championship. Scheduled as of now. Yeah, scheduled as say, of everything now. Is, everything is TBD <laughs> this year, but yeah. uh, <laughs> at, at, at the moment, we're at least booked up to go, you know, put a foot on a ball and figure it out from there. So, You, you guys all fired up? I am. No, I mean, last week was definitely a kick to the gut, but, you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, I feel for the kids not having the chance to, to, to have four gold pants, right? Because, yeah. I mean, that's something that I envy of Josh and in, in how I played in four games. So, you know, w- one's on us. But at the end of the day, to have, like, just one removed from circumstance, yeah. um, uh, no matter how you feel about that circumstance, uh, sucks one way or another. Yeah, and I mean – looking forward like the the wildness of this year and and everybody's going to remember this one it's going to be historic but um you know like you 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 practice hard so you can play in the game and they've practiced hard a ton but they've only been able to play into five five games up to this point but you feel like everything is still in front of this Ohio State team. And I'm hoping yeah. that once this is all released up and everything, they'll be able to do one of their, you know, glory days about the 2020 season. Right. Um, but everything is still in front of them. And that's the positive there is just keep moving forward. Yep. Well, something in front of us now is another reason to be excited today is because we're going to be talking about one of the biggest Buckeye games of the past 50 years. And when I say that, I am speaking about the eagerly anticipated fourth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes against the top-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide in the first-ever college football playoffs. And a note to our listeners, if you go way back, oh, I would say about two sentences, you heard the perspective of an Ohio State fan in saying that this was one of the biggest games in over 50 years. But you're not here to listen to my perspective. You're here to gain the valuable insight of two key players who participated and, as you will see, excelled in this game. So without further ado, I'd like to throw it to our co-hosts and ask them to make the argument why this contest and ultimate victory will go down as one of the biggest games 
in Ohio State history. Man, make the argument. Uh, yeah. uh, again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. To, yeah. to, to bring it to, you know, something that we can, you know, pick apart here. I, you know, I, I look at least in my life, like 0-2 as being another one of those very critical moments. We're going into a game where realistically the world thinks that we're going to get our butts kicked and handed to us. Um, and we came in, we came into that game with a chip on our shoulders and put hands on guys, moved them, made plays, and, and ultimately came away with a win. Like that, that, that grit and determination that we had as men in that moment allowed us to win national championship game. And that's ultimately what made that 0-2 game arguably one of the, um, the the best and most exciting games in, in Ohio State history. And then when like we can now reflect back on, on 2014, all of those same characteristics were there from the standpoint of um, the Goliath that we had to go play, the quote-unquote moxie that they had coming into the game, the record, the um, dynasty, etc. But you know, us having momentum and, and belief and, um, you know, a, a newfound uh, maybe vibe of uh, of offense. Um, you know, it, it was all just that, that perfect storm that really allowed us to take the field, kick ass like we did, <clears throat> and then look backwards and say, hey, that was one of the best teams in football that we just played, period. And, you know, across however many years you want to look. And, and we did that. So that's ultimately why I think that, you know, this game could be argued that, uh, you know, it's one of the biggest in Ohio State history. But I would resemble it really closely to that 0-2 one. Yeah. I mean, you think about the unprecedented run of success that Alabama had during your guys' right. tenure. I mean, they won three out of, if you look at the five years collective between you starting in 2011 and Joshua ending in 2015, Alabama sure. won three out of five national championships. Ohio State was in there, obviously, and uh, as well as Florida State. So, yeah, I mean, no, nobody's nobody's like um, you know immune to the fact, recruits included, Josh and I included, to that you know Alabama from a recruiting class standpoint is is number one, or if not, you know, number one or number two every year. Right? Yeah. There's recruits that we compete against in um, Under Armour All American games. We're like, right. damn, like that dude is a freak of nature and goes down yeah. there and plays. Right, so. We know what we're going against, but at the same time, we knew that we were good enough, right? Like, we knew that player for player, we could go match up against this type of team. And again, why would the context for this greatest game in Ohio State history be out there? Well, because, you know, we're talking about two Goliaths, right? Yeah. We figured we could match up against a team that we already knew had chess pieces that were, you know, (laughs) that were ballers across the board, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's real. And then... You know, just from my perspective on being such a big game, there is no national championship. There is no national title game appearance without beating Alabama. Like, that's the the thing about the playoff that I think made it so special. And it was the initial year, too, which even adds the, the little layer of history to yeah, it, right. the first ever. But, like, you know, you're the number four team. You had to work your ass off to get to number four. But nothing – happens unless you beat Alabama there this year is not special if Ohio State doesn't beat Alabama that's why the game was so big sure and speaking of getting to Alabama before we get into college football's version of selection Sunday a quick review of the last playoff poll of the season and subsequent results before the playoff participants are announced Number one, Alabama beat number 16, Missouri, in the SEC championship game, 42-13. Number two, Florida State beat number 12, Georgia Tech, 37-35 in the ACC championship. 
Number three, Oregon manhandles number eight, Arizona, 51-13 in the Pac-12 championship game. Wow, 51-13. And number four, TCU not playing in a championship game because of the Big 12 doesn't have one, beats a 2-9 and and unranked Iowa State team. And as we know, you guys ranked number five, destroy number 11, Wisconsin in the Big 10 championship, 59-0. And, you know, just for fun, because their name was thrown out there a little bit, number six Baylor beats an unranked Kansas State team, 38-27. Mm-hmm. It begs the question, though, as you guys are leaving Indianapolis after the Big Ten championship game, after such a dominating win, how are you guys feeling about the possibility of being selected? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know I was still through the roof, right? Like, you know, and, and Josh contested the same thing. We hadn't won yet. We hadn't won a championship right. yet at all. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm still looking at all the confetti in my backpack that I stole off the field as like, this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I feel like we all had belief. I had belief in our offense. I had belief in our defense. And I had belief in our ability to go win games. And, you know, all we needed was an opportunity, right? And yeah. we felt that we proved ourselves on the field that we deserved to be in the show, right? Now, now being in the show, getting like one of those last spots in, we knew we were gonna, we were gonna have to play, right? Sure, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, there was no secret, but we were playing good and we felt that we could, be, can, could compete with anybody we wanted to go against. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's interesting in, in a playoff format and in the first year, like, we felt like we had played well enough and we made our statement, um, but we had no precedent for what could happen because it was right. a new system. Yeah. And then the other thing that really just, it, you hate it, is the the human aspect of it. You know, like, we hated the computers when the computers were picking, but, you know, like, humans, are, they'll, they'll fuck you if they can. <laughs> right, you know? exactly. And so, I mean, like, like you're that just, little backs-rooted yeah, thought. They're like, ah. Oh. You're just not totally sure because it's, Like, you know, people are irrational. Things happen that don't make sense sometimes. Well, the good news is the committee chair, Jeff Long, when you guys are selected fourth, said it was decisive and that Ohio State was a clear-cut choice over Baylor and TCU. And realistically, looking back, how could you not? I mean, again, they don't even, at that time, get to play in a Big 12 championship game. And the beautiful part, too, is, as Joshua said at the end of last week's episode, you guys had this great feeling and momentum of Teflon is that nothing could stop you guys. So it was such a I feel like the gods were lining up for you guys, which was great. No doubt. No doubt. We've talked a couple times about the players reactions to the previous polls when they're released and we get it. Uh, you know, as, but for the fans that haven't heard, televisions are on ESPN at the Woody. You guys are a training table at times and you see the polls come out. But it's different this time. Yeah. You guys are just coming back from Indianapolis. Some of you haven't slept. Even Urban says he was at home when he heard about this. Can you guys set the scene for us? Where were you both (laughs) when you heard you were being selected for the number four seed in the college football playoff? Man, I was at home, uh, to to, to be quite honest. But, you know, home also included, you know, my roommate, Jeff, um, you know, and, and at the time, a, a bunch of other friends. But again, like we were riding this high, like, you know, we knew that we put on a performance that should get us into the show. Um, and again, we, had, we, we hadn't won yet. So, you know, we were still having fun, still doing the whole deal. Right. But like, 
I felt I was so restless that I really couldn't go to sleep. Like I was just so anxious because I didn't know what the humans were going to do. I didn't know if they were going to say, eh, yeah, nice try guys, but you know, not enough per our standards. And like, well, damn, define your standards kind of deal. Right. But, uh, you know, what, what, once we did get through the night and, uh, in the morning we ordered our, you know, uh, Bob Evans, Woody breakfast to the, to the house <laughs> to, to make it feel like we were at the Woody for some weird reason. But, uh, you know, then lo and behold, they, they go ahead and release our names. We all jump up yelling, you know, and then five minutes later we get a text from coach like, Hey, we're going to the Woody and we're all like, Oh shit, we haven't slept in like 24 plus hours. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen once we get there? And then, uh, bloodshot you know, the eyes. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. <laughs> to say the least. How about you, Joshua? Where were you? Uh, so my, it was very similar. Like we got back in town, uh, my roommate and I, Cam Williams, who's a, another linebacker, and we didn't sleep very much. We ended up um, leaving our apartment, you know, at whatever the show starts at like noon or whatever. So we probably leave like 10, 1030. Um, and we go to Craig Feta and Joe Berger's apartment. Um, two guys who played walked on, played linebacker at Ohio State. Now, these guys lived right on High Street, like right down the street from Buckeye Donuts. So we stop over, you know, we get our little breakfast um, and then head over with them. And we're just kind of like for that hour and a half or so before the release show starts, we're just kind of, you know, we're all on edge. We kind of got nerves. We're trying to relax each other. Um, And it it was the same response for us. Like we saw... They do the number one, number two, number three, mm-hmm. big ass long pause. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> okay. And then you see the number four, and so we're like jumping up and down, screaming. Like people who live next door or below are probably like, "What is going on?" Oh, big um, time. And I remember calling my parents on the phone, and they're driving back from Indianapolis. I think they, uh, they you know, stayed the night, whatever. And I was like, I was like, "This is fucking big. We made it." Like you know, going <laughs> yeah. ham. Um, and I remember that same thing. Like we get the text not very long after Literally. and it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. time to show up now. Right. I'll say this. I think the really interesting part about that was if we were the number one team, I think we would have had the, the, the deal at the Woody already. Like we would oh, have right. been in the building for the release 100%. show. 100%. I don't think urban would have wanted to address the number five team after receiving that news in person, not having time. Yeah. to deal with it well the last um, thing that he wanted to have was yes. espn and, yeah you know, et cetera et cetera et cetera yeah. all cameras outside the woody or inside the woody and us waiting and not get the news that we wanted so sure. yep you know we were already a hyper close team as it was right you know you, you see everybody who normally hangs out hanging out with other dudes on the bus right like sharing drinks you know or maybe we flew back whatever the hell it was right but like you know sharing drinks really having a good time right like you yep. know hey this is a, a goal that we've set for ourselves for some of us now for like three three years that we haven't been able to attain like let's live in this moment yes um you know i think coach was so focused on letting us then you know leave the woody leave the facility the 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 grips of ohio state and you know hug up our guys let us be in our environments with those individuals because that's what we all did obviously and josh and my story is very similar so yeah say everybody um, probably ended up doing the same thing whoever your your main guys were like Mm -hmm. i know even though we weren't watching it together as a full team, like our little segments within the team were definitely linked together. Oh, big time. When it comes out as competitors, the media loves to sit here and, you know, justify and talk about seeding. Does it matter as competitors? Because you got to go through the best anyway, right? And you're the best. Sure. I mean, seeding, it does matter a little bit, right? Yeah. Just from the standpoint of like style of offenses, who you're going to match up against, you know, 
I don't know, like for us at the time, right? Offensively, we were very multiple, but let's let's assume that we really needed to run the ball to set up a a good diverse passing game, right? Like if we were going up against Alabama versus an Oregon one or right. in that first game, very different scenarios from the standpoint of being able to run to set up the pass versus who we're going against. So that's yeah. where it matters, but. Um, again, we knew that we were going to just barely sneak our way in given right. our situation. So we were ready and um, um, willing to play the best because that was going to have to be our path anyways. Yeah, yeah and I, th- I think in other years it's a little bit different. Like like Evan said, you know, like we're, we were the four teams, so we knew that was going to be our fate. So we didn't have to, you know, it's not about does seeding matter. But, like, if you're, for example – the 2019 college football playoff and in LSU was clearly the best team in there but um that number one spot was really important because you felt like who regardless of the two three game last year um whoever got to play the four seed which was Oklahoma or whoever was going to be the four seed had a definite advantage because the top three teams were that much better than the number four team Uh for us we were we were in there so right. we're the best team at the four seed. So we right. knew it would, like it, it was going to be competitive regardless. But mm-hmm. there are some years where there's a definite advantage just based off the matchup of one team is a certain style. But like other years, there is the matchup of one team is that much worse than the other three that are in there. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Selection Sunday is not the first time you guys are going to hear the name Alabama around the facility. And I say that because Urban himself tells a story about seeing Alabama up close and personal in 2012 at the end of his first year in Columbus. He details in his book, Above the Line, quote, ESPN asked me if I'd like to work the telecast to the national championship game between Alabama and Notre Dame. I was on the field before the game paying close attention to the Alabama players warm up, and I was blown away by everything that I saw, the pace, the crispness, of the execution, the unmistakable, we're here on a mission demeanor. He goes on to say Alabama was better than we were at that point. The evidence was right in my face. And keep in mind, you guys just finished a 12-0 and season. Mm-hmm. He said, I grabbed my phone and sent a text to every player and every unit leader right there from the sidelines. And it said, the chase is on immediately because we're not the best team in the country. Alabama is. It really would have been a shame sure. if Notre Dame had won that game. So, <laughs> you guys, yeah, right? Rem- exactly. <laughs> you guys remember getting this text? Uh, yep. Yeah. So, like you know, and and every conversation then afterwards that was the chase is on and the chase is real, right? But you know, one thing that Coach Meyer and I'm you know I'm sure you touched on it that he was so adamant about was the fact that these guys were from top to bottom <clears throat> incredible with their hand position, right? Whereas um, that was something that we were still developing on. Yeah, sure, we were 12-0, and 0, um, but no slight on any guys that were on that 12-0 and 0 season. Like, I can very much go game by game and say that, like, you know, some of those wins were far from executed well. You know what I'm saying? We can buy. hundred percent, right? So, you know, a lot of that, when you get down to watching tape, is like, you know, hand position, guys getting moved, penalties getting called, um, you know, an ability to move folks up front so that you can establish the run. Like, it, it all plays into how, you know, you, you build a successful football program. So, yeah. You know, we, we were ready for it. Uh, the chase is on, the chase is real. I don't know if we were uh, ready for the the banners, the yeah. the 
practice, like the pre-practice uh, periods, all of the stuff that then followed. Hell, the difference pads that Coach Slagle now is uh, is is Manning, and, and kudos to him for that. But yeah, um, you know, none I'll, of that would have happened without it. So I got to dig in a little bit deeper on that because, like, he went down to that game and he sent us that text, and it was very clear to him that you know he felt like we still needed to develop, but he became obsessed with like dumb shit essentially. And it's not dumb in the grand scheme of things, but like he became obsessed with the hand placement. It was one of the things that he talked about. Evan just said it, but like he came back and he said, I was down there on the field watching them in pregame and I watched their D line warm up. And those guys, they strike better than anybody and their hands are quicker and their hands are always inside. They've got perfect technique and their thumbs up and their elbows are in. And he said, we don't have a guy who can strike like that. And then he's just calling like pointing guys out. He's like, Mike Bennett, you don't strike like that. Like we don't have a guy who does. And he's like, that's who he is. Um, To the point where, we came out in uh, that off season, and before we could like do contact and really put our hands on each other, we had two by fours that were taped together to practice the hand position, just the inside hands, like your hands were on the outside of the two by fours. That's how tight your hands are supposed to be, elbows in. And then we start doing that every day in practice, pre-practice with our pads on. Like we would, he would go down the line and he would basically watch like all the skill position guys strike one another. And it was like a competition to see who could get their hands inside and who could reset their hands. And then, like you said, Coach Schlegel developed an actual apparatus that you can attach to a uh, a weight rack in the weight room to practice what we called the difference. Like Mm -hmm. that is, it was so, it was such a point of obsession that he named it the difference. The difference between Alabama and Ohio State was how the fuck we struck each other, how our hands worked. And that was the obsession, but that's why Urban's an elite coach is he'll take something that nobody would really think of that would be the difference between a national title contender and an actual champion yeah. It's just a hand placement and being obsessed about it. Yeah. Jeez, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it feels like our friend of the show, Anthony Schlegel, should think about doing some sponsoring. He probably <laughs> I mean, should. He's got, hey, he's got deals know. with ADD1 schools. Him and Buckeye Donuts. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, he, he's yeah. all over the place. Schlegel's <laughs> yeah. killing it. I mean, they got battle arms now, too. I mean, dudes are yeah. getting releases as receivers. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, going chronologically, another time Alabama is brought up is in 2013 before a game against Illinois. And setting the stage here, the Buckeyes have won 21 games in a row at this point, including an undefeated 12-0 and season the prior year, which we just talked about. And you guys are number three in the rankings behind the Crimson Tide and Florida State. Evan, you are asked by a reporter, <laughs> how, would Ohio State, how would Ohio State do against Florida State and Alabama? Man, and you, oh man. Yeah, but <laughs> you give an honest reply. And you say, I'm a little biased. I think we'd wipe the field with both of them. And editor's note here, I personally love it. I mean, we need a Ric Flair, woo, at the end of that. That's, <laughs> yeah, sure. that, that is awesome. Talk about your mentality here and take us through yeah. the next couple of hours after you say this to a Sure. I mean, the, the mentality is this, man. Like, at the end of the day, we had already had a 12-0 and season, and we're going 22-some-odd straight games of, of winning football games, right? Like, figuring it out. At the end of the day, no matter what our cards are, we're winning these ball games, And, you know, that grows confidence. So, as a developing leader, trying to be that, you know, that, that senior guy coming in the next year and, and, and really making a statement – on top of the fact that I really loved the guys that I played with, right? You know, I felt that it was a question from the reporter, like, oh, how do you think that you play against the best? Well, dude, damn it. I, you know, I'm yeah. <laughs> really proud of my guys, so I'm going to tell you how I feel, right? Uh, now, in, in reflecting, because uh, <laughs> that's, where, that's where the value in all of this is, 
you know, it's it's about the delivery, right? So so my jumping the gun and saying that, hey, I, I'm confident in my dudes and I feel like we'd kick the shit out of both teams and saying it in that format at that time was far from the right medium and far from the right way to say it. Now, was it a thought that was, um, you know, circling its way through the team? Of course it was. You know, we're competitors. We want to play the best and we feel like we can beat the best. Um, you know, but there are coaches that, um, you know, take it very seriously. I mean, hell, before we even get to Coach uh, Meyer, <laughs> I'm driving home. My brother calls me. And, you know, I, again, I didn't even know I did anything wrong at the time. Like, literally, I left, thought everything was fine. I get a call from my brother, and he's like, dude, what in the hell did you just say at media? I'm like, I don't know, dude. I just left practice, did media. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, go home and turn on ESPN. <laughs> oh, man. And then Stephen A., uh, Skip Bayless, the whole nine Stephen yards, just, a, started going, boy. <laughs> just started going crazy on me. So, you know, feelings aside towards them and their conversations in those moments, <laughs> it, was a, it was a time for me to uh, um, think internally and be like, hey, you know, there's still a way and a, uh, a moment for you to speak with your pads, right? Yeah. Do that. And next time, you know, deflect, right? But, you know, still own it. Um, apologize if need be, um, you know, and, and, and rinse and repeat and with play, I guess. Joshua, what are you thinking when you hear this? You giving Evan a high five? Because, I mean, again, you guys are competitors. You're not, it, <laughs> what would have been if Evan said, yeah, I think we would lose? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's the setup, like it's the true setup question. And like, we're trained, you know, don't fall into the trap. You know, when somebody asks you that question, you're supposed to be very complimentary of mm -hmm. the teams that they ask you about. You're supposed to be, you know, hey, they've got really good players. We've got great players too. I think it'd be a good game, that type of stuff. But like, we all felt how we felt. And mm -hmm. it maybe it lacked a little bit of tact, but it was completely honest. Mm -hmm. And it, I guess... The, the bigger question is, like, what if Evan got asked that question and said, I don't think we're there yet? Like, yeah. how am I supposed to feel about him as a teammate? Mm -hmm. You know, like, we, you get asked these questions as a competitor, and I think that this is the, the issue is you're trained to give that little dumbass, oh, you know, two great teams, you know, yeah. it'd be a, a really good game answer. But, like, the answer that the media really wants to hear and the answer that the player really wants to give is, I think our team is better. But right. then it's a fucking issue when you do right. it. Exactly. So I like mean, you, you get the script and you want to stay yeah. by the script and it's important to stay by the script. But, you know, the reporters will get nuancy with the ways yeah. that they ask the questions about the teams that you want to go Say, compete tell against. Anyways, truth, though, like if, right. we, if we feel like we're better and, and nobody was mad at him for saying that we're, we, you might be mad at the delivery, but you're, you're deep within your heart. You're like that guy. He's like he's got our back. Like he's a baller. He's a competitor. And you're, you're cool with it. Well, here's maybe how Urban might play the media a little bit in the sense that I'll say this for context. It should be noted that in the coaches poll, which Urban participates, he himself has Ohio State ranked ahead of Florida State. But his reaction is swift. He says, quote, I can't stand it. I don't like disrespecting other teams. So, Evan, you get called in to see Coach Meyer. What does mm -hmm. he say to you? Because, again, you don't want to kind of temper that competitiveness that you have. Yeah. What does he say? Um, it, the, the conversation, every time that you get called into Coach Myers office, first and foremost, is like nails on the chalkboard. I mean, you're just kind of like, hole. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. It could go any way. I mean, shoot, a Gatorade could get thrown against the wall. You shit, you have no idea. So uh, there's that walking in and obviously what I said. But, you know, Coach Meyer is – more importantly, outside of being a good football coach, also, uh, you know, a great leader of men and, and, and young men at that. 
So he was very good in being able to say, hey, listen, I know how we all feel internally. And I love the fact that you want to be able to go compete against the best and, you know, go win. Right. But there there is a way to deliver your message when the media wants you to say the most uh, uh, quote worthy material, the most um, inflammatory know, thing for them to write up the story that they already had in the back of their minds anyways. So let's not give that to the next team that we may have to play down the road now, you know. That's 100% how all of the conversations need to go with, you know, college football players going forward, you know, but a lot of them still do within their own facilities believe in themselves to to the tune of uh, of quotes like that. Yeah. Um, you know, guys go out and train and say that, you know, this is how we're going to handle a moment like this, um, you know, and. They hype each other up off of it. So, you know, Coach Meyer does still kind of like that internal mentality. And it's just the conversation he and I had was balancing that mentality with um, the message to the media. So I think that's a great point, because if you would have said that exact thing in a pre-practice or a pre-game speech, there would have been zero issue. All right. Because <clears throat> those are the type of guys you want around. The issue is that you said it to the wrong people. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that, that's really the problem. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It feels like the media is, you know, unfortunately trying to take advantage of an eighteen to twenty-two year old kid. Yeah. It's what it is. Um, you know, you you, know, you, earn, you 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 own your comments, and and I did it. I definitely got better from it. But uh, yeah. you know, to set the stage, and then coming against Alabama, the importance of my job and being able to get my guys in my room ready became you know that much more so because you know what, damn it, I had quotes out there, and you know I wanted to live up to my word, and it was going to be me and my responsibilities and everybody else's around me to fucking live up to it. Glory Days fans, everyone knows bundling home and auto insurance is a money saver, but other insurance companies make it painful. Branch has changed that by making bundling easy, like 30 seconds easy, all online with just your name and address. Even if you're not looking to bundle, it's not a problem. Branch makes saving on just home or auto insurance that easy too. Branch, the better way to get covered. Learn more at rbranch.com forward slash glory that's o-u-r branch.com forward slash glory well let's shift our attention to preparing for the crimson tide and urban gave a little insight into the upcoming prep work when he told 11 warriors every available hand in this facility is working for this one it would be a tactical error for not everyone in this facility to not be focusing on alabama Let's break this preparation down into two distinct parts, physical and mental. First, the physical training. Joshua, you told Big Ten Elite, the way that we practice for that game was something that I had never seen before. What does that mean? It was the, the effort, it was the focus, it was the intensity of everything going on. Like that quote that you pulled out, I think is perfect. Um, every available hand in this facility is working for one thing. And, and he wasn't joking. Like if, if the, the custodial crew that comes through <laughs> wasn't intense and was not trying to be better than Alabama's custodial crew, like they were getting cussed out. You know, mm -hmm. it was everybody. But we mm -hmm. went out and our practices were very crisp. They were very focused. I think that our guys probably took the best notes that they ever took. I know I did. In meetings, I think we were as organized as a team as we've ever been. Our transitions from like different periods of practice. So we would go from, for example, uh, like being broken apart 
in practice doing individual groups. And then we would go to mini field, which was, uh, you know, the secondary linebackers and then wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks all together. And we got there faster than we would have ever gotten there preparing for any other team. And then you get to the mental preparation aspect where, you know, some guys would go in and they would watch maybe like 15 minutes of tape after practice. Like they would watch maybe just seven on seven and then be done. And there were guys, and part of it's because we weren't in class, but there were guys who would watch every period of practice, like including the individual like warm-up periods because everything's taped because they're trying to find that edge. And we had prepared really hard for a lot of games. We had not prepared with such intensity and focus for all of the games. And, and, and it, it showed when we went out to play, but like our guys knew what was on, on the line. We knew it was at stake. And I feel like there wasn't anybody who was going to leave anything up to chance in that game. Yeah, and anybody, uh, Volt, our our our, uh, our player operations guy, you know, Fernando, uh, all of our GAs, anybody who was was responsible for scout team, you know, seven step uh, post routes to make yep. sure that it was on point, right? Yes. So I think. The difference in preparation was that from the GA all the way to Brian Voltolini, right, it was, it has to be perfect, right? Yep. We have to get these guys ready. It has to be an immersive environment for the next X number of weeks for us to win this football game. Because guess what? Our opponents, that's what they're doing, yep. right? So if we're not matching their intensity daily, and not just players, right, not just coaches, if our trainers aren't matching their yes. intensity daily, we are doing our ourselves a disservice. And, yeah. and that was a narrative. And, and it was like, to that point, the hydration was meticulous. Like they were basically every ounce of fluid that was coming in and out of your body. Somebody was monitoring the way that we, we trained in the weight room was, you know, just a, again, a, an intense level of focus, the amount of sleep that we were supposed to get. And our guys had fun, like during bowl practice, you're supposed to have fun. But when, when you're trying to win a national title, like maybe if you were going to stay out until 1am, like you, you call it in at 11 because you just, it, it makes that much of a difference to you. So how was the physicality of those practices? I mean, again, you're, you're getting ready to play Alabama. Was it the, the hardest you were hitting? I mean, did the intensity go over to the hitting in practice? Yeah, or? I mean, the, the intensity definitely did. But I, yeah. I'd say, that, like, you know, the, the structure of bowl practice still remained the same. And, and for most, they're not really familiar with it. Like, it feels yeah. a little bit like a mini spring uh, practice season before you get the lead up to a game because it's yeah. around 15 practices. Uh, you're going to start off with – a lot of the guys who've gotten a, you know a million and a half plays played in the in the past season, we're gonna you know we're gonna put the shells on. You guys are gonna get your conditioning in. We're gonna treat your bodies right. We're gonna watch some of these young guys get better. We're gonna coach them up, and then we're gonna con continue to slowly wean our dudes in from there. And that remained the same, and that's the structure of bowl practice. But once it came down to game week, right? Because Coach Meyer still wanted it to be okay. Well. You know, our last couple of days, we're still going to have a bloody Tuesday, even though I'm sure it was like yep. on like a yeah. Thursday or, you know, who yeah. knows what it was in, in that week. And then all the way through our week and, and those days were perfection. Right. Um, the the trainers who were responsible for the mouthpieces when somebody, uh, you know, had it come out or the, the the EQ guy who would bring out the shoelaces when they popped off. It was perfection. It was. And, and honestly, it was down to that specific of a point. And again, like, how can we perform against a team that was the best in a dynasty? Well, you know, we prepared that way. Right. It sounds a lot like uh, 
after Virginia Tech, when you said, you know, that that Sunday you got there, you guys had the mentality, you know, no drop balls, yeah. complete intensity. Yeah. So, well, on to what's perceived to be Urban's specialty, the mental side of the training ledger. And for those who don't know, Urban was a psych major in college, so he <laughs> viewed this as a great challenge. And in his book, he said, we had a month to prepare for Alabama after beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. Our whole plan was to systematically build belief and motivation. From there, he details a three-step process along with what I will put in quotes, an unexpected assist. <clears throat> and step one, something he learned from Lou Holtz was to build up the opponent. Quote, we kept telling our players how, excuse me, we kept telling our players how great a team Alabama is. We wanted them ticked off at the mention of Alabama. Now we heard a little bit about this a second ago, but what are some examples of them building up Alabama, maybe outside of hand placement? So I think my coach was Luke Fickle was really good at doing this regardless of who the opponent was, but like this played right into his wheelhouse too. Like we'd be in practice and one of the scout team guys would like, you know, run a route, catch a ball, or, um, you know, like you would take a bad angle and then he's like, he's like, what the fuck? He's like, you, you don't think Alabama's guys can catch that ball? Or, you know, like you take a bad angle. He'd be like, what the fuck? Are you going to take bad angles against Derrick Henry? Like that's that was basically what he did. So everything you did wrong was like, oh, well, if you did that wrong here, the Alabama guy's just going to embarrass you. Yeah. And it's like, OK, <laughs> coach, like, please, pl I get it. Like, yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Ours was just seen in, in those drills. Uh, once it came down to like looking at the film and the tape and the guys we were going to go against, our offensive game plan was centered around attacking the DBs. So from, from Jump Street, we – not to say like we felt that they were vulnerable because they had guys. I mean, hell, Eddie yeah. Jackson's still playing in the league. They got yeah. dudes still rolling. Uh, but <clears throat> that was yeah, that was our opportunity, and we felt that we matched up great there. So from the stump, it, from the jump, it was yeah, these guys are awesome. But you know, look, look at how you know they weren't in the right position, and how great we've been doing this, and how we can take advantage of them and win the game off of it. I mean, again, I, it obviously works because you guys win the game, and you've got the media talking to you about SEC. I mean, you're obviously tired of Alabama by the time you get to New Orleans. You're, you're, oh, yeah. You've had enough. Okay. Oh yeah. Step two is build up your team, empower them. And in Above the Line, he called it the principle of 6%. He said he told you guys, you don't have to beat Alabama today, you don't have to beat them tomorrow, or even the next day. Today, all you need to do is get 6% better. If every one of you does that every day, by the time a foot hits the ball in the Sugar Bowl, you guys are gonna be ready. Now, off air, you guys said it's, it's, it's tough to kind of recall everything that was being said that week, but do you recall the tone making a switch from, hey, Alabama is so great, to uh, you guys have trained for this. There's no reason why you can't win this. Do you remember that tone kind of switching from one to the other? Yeah, I do. Um, so like I just said, we, we started off by saying, hey, the receiver rooms are, 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 is gonna be the way that we win this game offensively. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna do things that we do, but you know, receivers, if we can gash them like we can, we're gonna do it, right? But that was our conversations with Coach Smith when, when Coach Meyer started coming into those meeting rooms and delivering that same um, narrative that, hey, guys, if, if we do these four plays and we get them to spin their hips that way, 
this is going to be a critical play in the game and we can win off of it. That's when we started understanding that shift a little bit more. And mm-hmm. not to say that we needed him in the room to, you know, to, to have that level of understanding. But, you know, when, when coach comes in and, and reaffirms points that you've heard from your from your position coach for a few days, you know that, you know, the, the, the pressure's tuning up, fire's starting to get a little hot and, um, you know, mistakes are few and far between. There have to be few and far between. Sure. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, well, step three was build the brotherhood. So hang with him, hang with me for a second here, because this takes a minute to explain. But Urban talks about a conversation he had with David Treichel, the OSU video coordinator, and they discussed targeting special teams for the task of building brotherhood for this game. He says, "Quote: We wanted to reinforce the idea that they were a specially chosen unit, a band of brothers going into battle behind enemy lines." Those players were so close to each other, they knew the only way they get through that battle, meaning Alabama, and to win that game was if they fought for each other. So they come up with the idea that special teams players had to carry a small, thumb-sized brass clicker, which was modeled after the devices that US paratroopers had to use in World War II to communicate their location in the dark without giving away their identity. All special, play, all special teams players were required to carry this at all times. And Urban said, if you passed a teammate and he clicked once, you had to click back. You both had one of these. Can you speak to this at all? I mean, was this a, did you yeah. see this as a big thing or was this kind of building a narrative? I mean, it was big. Don't get me wrong. Like, you yeah. know, trust me, there was no passing Coach Meyer in the hall without your clicker. And if Jesus. you did, it's a bad day. Like, think, yeah. think, about, think about how we, we set up the whole pressure cooker type of scenario from the standpoint of coach coming in rooms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if he's saying, you know, hey, guys, not only is this a very, um, you know, kind of like a an external thought that actually really applies to how you need to show your brothers that you're going to be there for them. Um, and he builds that into every day and every meeting mm-hmm. and every practice. Your ass better <laughs> have your clickers. Now, I would also add to that in the fact that most weeks in special teams, we had items like that. Um, you know, I, I know Josh and I both can remember a little, you know, special teams boxes that we used to start collecting all of our items in, whether it was, you know, cards one week, letters dog one tags. week, dog tags another week. Yep. Um, but in this one specifically, right, like so many games we could be the better athletes and win, right? This one wasn't going to be the case. So I needed to depend on Josh, who's right next to me, and kick off return. Right. And then, you know, I needed him to click if I, you know, if he, or if I, I needed him to click if I clicked, right? If, yep. if my guy came this way and kind of got the better of me, but Josh had some free eyes and he yep. could clean it up, you know, shit, he clicked for me. Great. That's, that's the, the thought into action. And, you know, that's what we tried to do. Yeah. And it's, you know, the enemy territory going down south, I think, had a lot to do with it. It's the, the unexpected and the unknown that happens within a game. And it's exactly what Evan said is um, you you have to be able to to depend on somebody else to do their job. Um, even if you don't know exactly where they are or exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing, you know that it's going to be accomplished. And then if you need that little reassurance and you click and they click back, that's all that's that's all you need. Hey, bro, you good? Yeah, I'm good. That's it. Yeah. Well, it seems like he used it as a final piece of motivation before the opening kickoff against Alabama because he said he gathered the kickoff team around him and he pulled out the the clicker and, quote, he said, you guys went nuts. Yeah. So good, good, I wasn't out there covering kicks, thank goodness. But um, <laughs> Craig Feta. Yeah, those <laughs> days were ready for sure. Headbutting people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Before we tackle the game on the field, a quick discussion about your trip down to New Orleans. And for those who don't know, bowl games can traditionally have events from media days to sponsor obligations that require the participation of the players and take them away from practice. And it seems to me that you guys would be hyper-focused, obviously, on preparing for the game on the field. Do you have? Did you have to attend any of these official events, or was this kind of, hey, you know what, we don't have to do this because it's the college football playoff? <laughs> did we have to attend? Of course, right? This is the pageantry. This is the yeah. first one. They were living it up, man. Yeah. Like, they well, have this whole little... I think they actually set it up in the Superdome beforehand. I'm not 100% sure, but you walk in and you got to do an interview under the big golden ass um you know yep. 2015 with the, the the trophy in the middle yep. so you know you're asking questions from tell me about this sec speed you're gonna go you know tell me how are you gonna go attack these corners like i'm gonna tell you what our offensive passing game plan is right before we go play this team <laughs> yeah, so i'm gonna run so, by them right exactly <laughs> you know we're gonna kick their ass and we're gonna wipe the floor with them right <laughs> um, you know that's what i wanted to say but yeah lessons learned yeah <laughs> Well, uh, it was it was I'll say like outside of the media days, which, you know, there's like the full team media availability. And then there is a separate like offense goes one day, defense goes another day. And those are just for like your guys. And then there are like other events, too, where they want people to show up. And we talked about it in the production call because I'm trying to get on one of these bowl committees. Um, yeah. you know, jobs I, in all, of, all sports. Oh, yeah, I hear it's right. a great job, but yeah. um, you know, guys are shaking your hand and patting you on the back and, oh, we're oh, yeah. so glad to have you here. It's like, you don't know me. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, but the, the rough part <laughs> about me. those is we would practice early so we could have time off in case our families were around or we could put our feet up or whatever. Um, so we would go to those things at like, you know, our wake up call would be like 6, 6.30, we would go to those, um, we would be there, and then we would get on a separate bus from everybody else and head straight to practice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, I would prefer to lift weights before practice, and there was that option if you wanted to get up early enough, but then it fucked my day because I would have to go to the event, and then I would have to go to practice, and then I would have to stay after practice to lift weights. Right. And then it's like, all right, so now I'm on the last bus out of the damn practice facility over to the hotel. Everybody already done ran through the snacks in, in the mm -hmm. hospitality room, so <laughs> I can't get a snack. Like, it was... It was and, a thing. Let, me, let me add one more because like in the early days once we get there we go do all the oh let's go eat at the famous restaurant right. and let's go do this showing but that's after all the stuff that Josh is talking about so it's yeah. like you do feel a little bit like um, uh, I mean hell it, it, for the seniors it felt like we were kind of already taking a step to the pros because there was yeah. so much of a schedule and responsibilities yeah. and a showing a face here and showing a face there you just you know you, you kind of have to you know play the role a little bit well, we'll talk about that next week because you guys are almost like the pros. You're going to end up playing 14 games, and Urban says that's very NFL-ish. But, you know, yeah. New Orleans And then you be... wonder why a lot of those dudes got hurt yeah. uh, going into that next year, but yeah. another conversation. You know, New Orleans can be a pretty small town when compared to other major bowl destinations like a Phoenix or a Miami. Did you guys have any interactions with Alabama players, either at official events or non-official events, and... If so, how do those guys carry themselves compared to you guys? We did, and they, they carry themselves well. Um, not so much in our official events because it, it'd just be odd to start with, but in, in our unofficial ones, um, you know, we definitely came across those guys um, early on. But I would say that, like, 
you know, the unofficial events that, that could have involved the dudes who were old enough going out and stepping out around on, you know, <laughs> now, in, how in would Bourbon you classify Street. an unofficial yeah, event? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can have another hour long episode yeah. about the definition <laughs> of unofficial. Event. Uh, but no, I mean, they were they were cordial, honestly. You know, some of them came up and actually like spoke, which was cool. Um, no, nothing of the Miami fist fights in the streets type of days. Like, yeah. you know, we knew that we had a job to do. But I think for us, like. We, we, we put a very, you know, Curtis, shout out to Curtis Grant for, for the idea or, you know, whichever coach talked to him beforehand, who knows. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, after the first night, nobody was going out. So yep. it was really that first day where we had that and then the rest was business. Yeah. Yep. And, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out, too, um, just on that. I, like, they got a professional-ass coach just the same way we did. Like, you get some of these coaches that are, like, real players coaches and they want their guys to have as much fun and they can go out and, you know, they give them latitude. I trust my team, whatever. Um, Saban probably made it extremely clear what would happen if anything went wrong in the streets. Your your ass is on a Greyhound back and I'll probably never see you again. (laughs) You're done. And Urban made that very clear too. Like, I don't know if you remember this, Evan. This shit was, this was probably the best part of the whole trip is – the police chief comes and he talks to us as soon as we get to oh, the hotel. Yeah. And so we're, we're sitting in this conference room and he's going through and he's like, you know, Bourbon Street is fine once you get to Dauphine. And then once you yeah. get there, it's there's people doing heroin. He's like, he's like, you know, you go into some of these bars and something pops off body bag. He's yeah. like, he's like, you know, he's, he said, <laughs> you, you get in a cab with the wrong kind of cab driver body bag. Like, yeah. that was we were speech. all looking around like, damn, like what's going on here? Like, I'm not going yeah. a couple streets over, but like yeah. I swear, he came yeah. in with a mission to scare the shit out of us. And there's a lot of us that we were worried, like, hey, you you streets tonight? Like, what's, yeah. what's yeah. up? I'm sheets. <laughs> On to game particulars. Uh, number four, Ohio State is a nine-point underdog against number one, Alabama. And as said before, the Crimson Tide comes in at 12-1 and one after a victory in Missouri, uh, over Missouri in the SEC Championship while the Buckeyes come in at 12-1 and one after a win over Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. Kickoff is at 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock Central. It's in Louisiana Superdome. You've got roughly 75,000 people in attendance. The game is on ESPN, not ABC, which is per a new deal. And even though the game is on cable, it's going to be watched by an astounding 28.2 million people. And for Jesus. folks... yeah. Think about that today. And for folks that don't follow TV ratings, the only TV events, both sports and non-sports, that year that are more viewed than this game are the game the following week, when, or, the two, or 10 days later when you guys play Oregon, and the Super Bowl. So, you know, those Ohio State fans love their Buckeyes. That's oh, wild. Yeah. And, and, you think and about that's it. why we should always be in general conversations when we are worthy and have a good team and the film looks right They, they in playoff conversations. Ohio yeah, State they, wins the tiebreaker every time. Yeah. They, they're putting a on a, a, a TV production. I'm, I will ask Evan this question because I'm Yo. curious. <laughs> how, how tight would you be if somebody told you like before you went on the field mm. that 28 million people are watching like don't fuck up because I, I probably would have went out there a little bit tighter than and when I played uh, yeah I'm glad that that's something that wasn't said uh, yeah. because I'd have been thinking like, hold on like high and hard do I really need to pass this football to Mike Thomas right now can yeah. probably wow. run this one and you know take my medicine we, we're no, glad you passed it we'll get to that in a second but uh, yeah. all the elements of a big game are here I mean the average ticket price on secondary markets over 500 bucks but Something else to consider when discussing the magnitude of this game, and let's detour for just a quick second to compare the two schools 
during the time you two were at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So that's starting with Evan's freshman season in 2011 and ending with Joshua's senior year in 2015. During that five-year period, as we said earlier, Alabama wins the national title three times, 2011, 2012, 2015. Ohio State wins it in 2014. The, o- the only other team that during that period to win a national title was Florida State. Alabama wins 90% of their games, while Ohio State wins 83% of their games. And if you count only Urban's time, so that's just moving that one year out, the Buckeyes win 93% of your games over a five-year period. I mean, that's astounding. Right. Speaking of Urban, at the time, he and Nick Saban are the only coaches to win multiple national titles at the time. Urban had two, Nick had four. And after the 2014 season, they would be the only coaches to win national titles at different universities. Urban at Ohio State in Florida, Nick Saban at LSU and Alabama. Guys, am I underselling this matchup at all? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got it about right. <laughs> so on to the pregame. Joshua, you said you noticed something interesting about Alabama when you sized them up on the sidelines. Care to share? Yeah, so Urban was – this was, I think, one of probably the best things he did in terms of motivation and preparing us for an opponent is during the offseason he would talk about training with Mick. And one of the things he would talk about is having big-ass biceps with big veins and thick necks with veins bulging out and your big traps and shoulders and just being rocked up, you know, broad chest. Like that was – he would paint the picture of what a football team would look like and then we would – Mick would mold our bodies to look like that by the end of the offseason. And then we would go out um, during the season, and during pregame, I would just look at the other team, and I'd be like, damn, all right, so this dude's got noodle arms. Like, this boy's got a pencil neck. Like, this dude has a weak chest. He does not <laughs> – yeah. it just doesn't look manly. I'm like, we got these guys. <laughs> yeah. And we would do that basically every game, and nobody's guys looked like our guys. Like, their mm. their linemen look sloppier. Their their linebackers maybe didn't look as, as swole or didn't look as whatever the case was. We go down there. We're warming up to play Alabama, and I look at their guys, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, all right, these guys look like our guys. Like, this is going to be the first game that we play in where they got dudes that physically resemble our dudes. And that's how you knew it was a real competition, but it's a playoff. Like, that's how it's supposed to be. But that was the first time where I knew it was going to be real on real and they had some guys because their guys looked just like our guys look did that ever happen to you again in the college ranks i mean we know you played in the league but did you ever come across another team that you know again looked you like alabama position groups like we'd play wisconsin they you know their offensive line would come out and you'd be like yeah, yeah those guys look like they boys. just came Iowa's from iowa's like, offensive line we played them in 2013 for them dudes or what's the deal well, yeah. <laughs> we, we played iowa you know in 13 and their offensive line must have been averaging like six six through twenty. Them boys yeah. were huge, yeah. right? And so you but, get that, but yeah. not you know, top like, to bottom, really like that. No, because I mean, not, since we both had the chance bad. to play at the next level, yeah. like, you know, that's that's stuff that you see at the next level, unless you're playing an Alabama, I, I mean, Clemson, even something sometimes like that. at the next level, you don't see it like that. Like true. I don't know. We we would walk out there and I would watch like the opposing quarterback warm up and I'm like, this dude's got he's got smooth arms. Like there's no dent in his arm from where the muscle is. Like his arm is yeah. totally smooth. I'm like, he sucks. And then I'd look <laughs> at the running back and I'd be like, Okay, well the running back looks like he's got narrow shoulders. I'm like, he sucks. I look at the tight end 
and I'd be like, okay, the tight end is a little bit bottom heavy. His ankles are too thick. He sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like and, and this is so bad. I'm body shaming out here. Like, no, love, no, no, no. love what you hey, look like. Hey, people. This is this is this is football but, sizing up. That's all it is. But like, that's what I would do, and I would go through and I would look at every position mm. out there. But we looked at Alabama, and I'm like, all right, well, Derek Henry's built like me, so yeah, I'm about check to say, that Derek, box. Derek looked like your ass just with I'm like, trust I'm me. like, okay, so I see offensive linemen with skinny ankles out here. Yeah. Check that box because they're athletes. I'm like, yeah. okay, I see a six foot one receiver check that box of like oh shit this is gonna be a real one and because alabama looked like you many on the team were looking for ways to get an edge on the competition curtis grant has an interesting story with stan drayton about how coach helped him understand the mentality needed to beat bama here's this week's captain's perspective with curtis grant our coach 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 drayton i said coach drayton i'll never forget i was we was at the top of the elevator in the hotel I said, Coach, man, you think these guys really that good? He's like, yeah, that's a good team. I was like, so what you think it's going to take for us to win? He was like, man, those guys play four quarters of football. And they don't give up. I was like, damn, that's not like us. You know what I mean? Because we're going to score with our first team, second team, and third team, you know? So I took that into consideration. I was like, okay, Bama kicking our ass these first two quarters. But... Evan gave us life with that pass, even though I think the score was like twenty-one-seven going into halftime. Mm-hmm. That was another spark, you know. It was another spark. Evan threw that pass, and then it was like, "Let's go, let's go!" Like we came back out second quarter, we won. I mean, third quarter we won. Fourth quarter we won. I mean, it got to the point where we was up twenty-one on Alabama. Mm-hmm. And we would have been up higher than that if Tyvis ass ain't jumped the daggone dig route like Coach told him not to do. And they ended up running a post over his head or something like that. And the dude scored. The score should have been worse than that. But it just showed that our tenacity, man, of just – and I could – you know, and just being consistent, man, and just keep chomping at the bit. So, yeah. it was. I was tired, man, just running around. Hitting people big as me all the time. <laughs> After that game, I was like, yo, that was a football game. Like, I'm tired. Like, it's time to go lay mm-hmm. down, you know. Even though I didn't lay down, I went to go party. But, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> well, how about you, Evan? Any jawing going on between the teams in pregame? Yeah, so this is the first taste of SEC Big Ten banter, right? Uh, uh, but, you know, to, to, to say that I wasn't or that I didn't have about 365 days of a lead time to start prepping all of the thoughts and the conversations <laughs> that I might be ready to have in those moments, uh, it, it all boiled down to right after we finished our offense, started running off into the locker room. And, you know, the words said can't remember, you know, it, disrespect was definitely there. And, you know, for me, I wasn't, you know, I was already in that mindset, right? I was already ready to go out there, you know, win this game, it's going to be physical, et cetera. But then to just have their DBs who, you know, first of all, receivers and DBs should never be together while warming up ever. Ever. But but somehow, like, we're always on the 50-yard line. Like, one's right here and one's right here. So, like, it it started from there. And then as we're leaving, number four, whatever the hell his number was. No, because four was Eddie Jackson. I don't remember his name. He had some... No, he's like some dude who had some weird afro going on. His ass didn't play. But um, 
<laughs> he starts jawing, right? So, you know, of course, me, I'm ready to go at this time, too. So I turn around, rip back, start screaming at this dude. And I get like half a step, like I'm about to take a step towards him. And Ryan Stamper, who's player development guy, you know, fresh off of his national championship with Florida, like just yokes me up, grabs me, rips me back, throws me into the, into the line, going into the locker room. And I get in there and just start going off. Like, listen, these fucking assholes are not winning this game. We are killing these dudes, and it's happening right now. Get ready, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So I, I think that's that's kind of what set the tone for me and some of the dudes in the receiver room. But, you know, I, I came into the locker room ready to go, and, and most conversations then afterwards I blanked on because, you know, I was ready to hit somebody, dog. And, you know, and at least I got my first one out and played two. But uh, from then on it was ready to go, or I was ready to go. Yeah. Well, here we go. Uh, first half. Alabama receives the opening kickoff and immediately goes three and out. OSU receives a punt and promptly drives 80 yards in 10 plays, and Sean Nuremberger kicks a 22-yard field goal to put the good guys up 3-0. But the key play here is Ezekiel Elliott has a 54-yard run, and at this point, Mickey Marotti tells Big Ten Elite, I knew right then we were good. The sidelines knew it. We were good. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, as earlier in the day, Emmett Smith posted something interesting on Twitter. We will have a great chance to see two very good backs play tonight, and both of them are on the same team. <laughs> you guys hear about this tweet because it was directed towards Alabama. And, you know, personally, I'm glad that Ezekiel did because all he does is end up rushing for 220 yards. Right. Tearing but, it up. I mean, I, I can't imagine you guys were too focused on what Emmett Smith was tweeting. No, I, I mean, maybe Coach Drayton, like, figured out a way to, to leak that into, you know, uh, Zeke's prep. But, you know, again, talk about the dude who gets wired, ready to go before a football game. So, you know, he, he's definitely one. And, and I think that just added fuel to the fire. And, you know, I, I Kind of like you were talking about with Coach Meyer, like nothing's different point A to point B. You go as hard as you can because he could look at us in the eyes and tell that like, hey, these some rabid dogs that we're about ready to unleash on these boys and I can see it, right? I don't need to go over here and get them any more route. I don't need to say shit else. I need to be a good leader and let my guys go. Well, I'd love to see somebody reading their phone two minutes before the game that's going to be able to see that. You know, I mean, somebody has to, <laughs> got to, to go straight. But yeah. Alabama goes three and out again. That's two straight three and outs, and we're going to have a great theme here. OSU, unfortunately, fumbles after a 17-yard run, and Alabama scores on a 25-yard run. It's 7-3 to three Alabama. But then you guys go on another long drive, 71 yards on 11 plays. You kick a 21-yard field goal. And to this point... OSU has two long drives. It shows you can move the ball against big, bad Alabama's defense. Mm-hmm. It's 7-6 to six Alabama. Alabama answers with its only drive of the first half. Eight plays, 79 yards with a 15-yard touchdown pass to Amari Cooper. It's 14-6 to six Alabama. And you guys in Alabama trade punts before Cardell you know, has a pass that's intercepted. So... After that interception, Alabama goes 15 yards for a TD, and it's 21 to six Alabama. Yeah. But according to ESPN, when asked about this point in the game, Nick Saban says he didn't like the feel and quote, "We weren't stopping them." Yeah. What were your guys' thoughts at this point? I mean, it's 21 to six, but clearly you can stop Alabama, and clearly they can't stop you guys. What are you guys saying? What are the coaches saying to you on the sidelines? That was exactly the thing. Like, yeah. you know, it was just a confirmation of the feeling that we all felt like we're here, we're ready, and we're good enough to compete and win this football game, right? Like that first drive, the, 
however many yards it was 71 yards and then you know a, a, a turnover obviously which was which was our bugaboo all playoffs mind you but that drive probably wouldn't have looked much differently ripped off of a 17 15 yard run right like so that momentum was never stopped and if we were stopping ourselves in the red zone things tighten up defenses get a little complicated you just got to figure out answers uh but offensively it was not a knife through butter but you know we had a really good plan that they weren't answering um, I, and you know it, it it felt good i felt confident personally because i knew on defense they it wasn't like they were chunking us for yards or they were sustaining long drives. It was, you know, short fields that they were scoring points on. And then the flip side of that is you can you can cure a short field um, because you can you can do things to to enhance your ball security during a game. Like, you know, you can tell your quarterback, hey, you know, don't make that throw. Or you can tell the running back like chin, chin, chin or whatever the case is. Um, so. For us, it was like, okay, uh, short field, they score some points, it's bound to happen. Offense, give the ball away, they're not going to consistently do that. I don't see an issue here. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's take a break here and talk about the first half stats, even though we're not there yet. We're, there's more to come, obviously, in the first half. But Alabama, eight possessions in the first half. They had four three-and-out punts, two short field goals as a result of turnovers, and only one sustained drive. Flip side of that, Ohio State has seven possessions in the first half. They only have one punt, two uncharacteristic turnovers, a fumble and an interception, two field goals, and two touchdowns. So let's get to those two touchdowns because it's the start of an unfathomable to the fans. 28-0 run against the number one team in the country. Say that out loud again. 28 unanswered points against Alabama. I don't think I've seen that happen until like two years ago when Clemson did it to him in the national championship game. Mm -hmm. So that's how mm -hmm. rare it is. But you guys go on a 12-play, 71-yard drive, again, 71 yards, and Zeke Elliott has a three-yard run for a touchdown. It's 21-13 Alabama. Alabama, again, goes three and out for another punt, and you guys get the ball back with a minute 32 left in the half and drive very quickly to the Alabama 13-yard line. Up next is one of the most famous plays in Buckeye lore. And I'm going to ask Evan, since he executed this play, yeah. to help us here. Sure. Here's the setup. OSU has the ball with 12 seconds left in the half. A play is called that was originally used in the Michigan State game, but it wasn't executed the same in that game. Correct? Yeah, definitely. It was far from executed the same. The, the, the simple way to say that is I decided to run instead pass. Instead of pass, yeah. Well, what is the play called and describe its ideal execution? Sure. Uh, the, the name of the play, I definitely couldn't tell you. But at the end of the day, it's 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 intent is to send um, the Z in motion opposite of a, opposite of an option. Right. So the defense is looking at what they see as option. They flow towards it. Receiver goes in the middle, catches the ball. And then it could be what is looked at as a reverse. It's just a whole bunch of optics for the defense to get their eyes off of Mike, who's running a little pylon route over in the back left corner. And then I have the decision to look at leverage, either throw it or run it. And kind of like you were talking about when we played Michigan State, right? Like, you know, I, I saw that we had put the play in that week. You know, I, I threw a couple good balls, a couple that probably weren't the best. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, you know what? Maybe the first down's a little bit more important here. So let's get that. Uh, lo and behold, we end up getting the first down there. I think we got points on that drive. But I got so much crap from Mike for not throwing it and he was way more open in that game than he was in the Alabama one but uh and lo and behold right you know we, we we get the chance to implement it in in um in bowl practice and I was 
and I don't like to do this a lot, but I was dropping dimes. Like I remember a couple that I threw to Corey Smith over in the corner that were incredible. And I'm like, dude, you know, I like to talk shit, but I, <laughs> I never played quarterback. Like, you know, like I tried to play this little competitive game with Cardell every week, beat him most weeks than he would want. But uh, yeah, I've never played quarterback. But anyways, we get into the game. Uh, coordinator, signaler, whoever it was, calls it wrong. So we're all jacked up. We have to burn a timeout. We get to the we get to sideline, and then. I, I had the chance to look at Coach Smith after we confirmed that, hey, we're still going to run this thing. I looked at him. And I'm like, hey, dude, so you want me to throw this ball, right? <laughs> like, we're calling this thing, but you want me to throw the ball, right? He's like, yeah, man, if you if you got it, take it. And I was like, all right, bet. Like, exactly. that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> Literally all I needed to hear. Because in the back of my head, I'm like, I got so much shit for not throwing the last one. If I see it, I'm taking it. So, you know, uh, the, the the rest of the story happens. Ball gets snapped. Jalen comes, comes in motion. Um, it gets flipped to me. And then, you know, the pocket kind of, uh, built itself that guy contained me perfectly so I couldn't run um, and you know I had the decision to make where it was it's already made but I was going to say hey you know any place that my guy can only get it is going to be high and hard so in my head I was just thinking it's got to be high over by that pylon and as hard as I can throw it and left my finger perfectly peeked around Cardell Mike got his foot down and then I just proceeded to sprint the sideline and lose my mind the rest is history <laughs> well you definitely should lose your mind because that was one of the best passes I think I've ever seen any of the fans want to go on YouTube and kind of put that yeah. in there you'll see that there was very little room to get that ball in there and Mike Thomas did an unbelievable job getting his foot down. When I let it go, like I honestly thought it was too high, like like right when I left it. Because in my head, I'm like, you know what? It's got to be one place. And one place is like kind of technically too high for Mike to get. So he's yeah. got to do something ridiculous to go get it. I'm, I'm not that familiar with Mike Thomas's NFL career in terms of how he does every game, but I know he <laughs> plays in that stadium, and that's yeah. probably still the best catch he's ever made in that stadium. So <laughs> definitely, <laughs> uh, definitely up there. I mean, it was... It was awesome. It, it was yeah. a great moment. But for me, like, you know, that, that was just kind of the the story of my career, right? Like, you know, yeah. hell, they're, I maybe had 22 catches that season, right? So they're not going to throw the ball to me. Like, how can I make another difference? I've yeah. been around. Well, I'm going to throw the ball to somebody else, damn it. Right. Yeah. Give me the ball. I'll throw it to somebody else. Shit, I'll figure it out. <laughs> well, 11 Warriors had some fun and said that uh, you go down with 100% completion rate and the highest QB rating in Ohio State history. Hopefully unmatched. Um, unmatched. I, I would say that there will not be any arguments there. <laughs> After the score, Alabama leads 21-20 at half, and here we are heading into halftime. OSU is absolutely dominating. You're halfway to 28 straight points. The offense has 370 yards of total offense, and only 120 have been given up by the defense. Joshua, defense does not get enough credit with four three-and-out punts and Alabama only having one true scoring drive. Your thoughts on Alabama at halftime. I mean, is the Teflon feeling you mentioned last week feeling even stronger? It is. Um, and, and it was what I said before, like, you know, you, you don't want to give up points. So the most important statistic in my mind defensively is points against, right? So scoring mm -hmm. defense um, and, and we had given up points, so we didn't like that. But the fact that we were able to stifle them and their ability to move the ball was good for us. Um, yeah. So we were feeling good about that, but there was one, kind of thought in the back of our mind about how Alabama was different from other teams that we had played before that this probably isn't the team that's going to be worn down in the second half. Like other teams, you know, once you get in the second half, you can really beat them up. Like I said before, their guys look like our guys, they train like our guys train. So we were going to be in for a four quarter battle um, fight till the end type of finish. And so just with that context in mind, it was really important for us to make the proper adjustments uh, so we could replicate 
the performance from the first half, but we were feeling good about ourselves overall. Really good. Like I, I, I stepped in that locker room and I'm like, you know, don't, don't fucking talk to me about the past. Right. Like seriously, yeah. like, but that, that was the mentality. I don't want to hear about it. It's as close to a zero, zero game as it's get. And this is going to be the best opponent second half opponent we've ever played. So yeah. we got to answer the bell and it starts with our mentality into the first possession. Right. And that's what we did. Well, Urban says in his book, you could feel us coming. Everyone in the building could feel us coming. And OSU scores two minutes into the second half on a 47-yard pass from Cardell to Devin Smith. And for the first time since a 3-0 lead in the first quarter, OSU takes the lead 27-21. The two teams trade punts back and forth. And on to another famous play in OSU lore. Steve Miller has a 41-yard interception. For a touchdown, Joshua, can you take us through this play? If you have, if you've got some memory of this. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember if we were running a blitz, which for, you know, casual consumers is where uh, typically you have a four man rush. A blitz would be, you would add the extra fifth man in there, or maybe a six. I'm not sure if it was a blitz or if it was a simulated pressure um, so, and, and so to, to, to bring that together, if, if you're dropping a, a defensive end out there, you would have to bring two other people to get that blitz. If it's a simulated pressure, then you would bring one person and you would drop the end out of there. And the simulated pressure is great because it's a four man rush. So you can still have your coverage back there. Um, but it, it gives you a look that there are more people coming and it confuses a quarterback when they're trying to dissect the coverage. So yeah. can't remember what was on. Steve Miller, we had worked on this uh, all week of him dropping off the line of scrimmage into coverage. And we're like, Steve, you know, we need you to drop back, uh, get you a little width, get you a little bit of depth. You know, don't worry about entirely too much. Just kind of read the eyes of the quarterback. We're playing zone. So don't worry about where the routes are. The quarterback's eyes are going to tell you where the football is going. And so Steve Miller, just as he was coached, drops his ass out there, get a little depth, get a little width. Don't worry about what's going on with the receivers who read the eyes of the quarterback because he'll tell you exactly where the ball is going <laughs> and he threw it right to him. You couldn't see him. And, and that oh, was, man. that's the benefit of dropping that guy in there. Yeah. Um, and then Steve gets the damn pill and he's like, man, fuck this. I'm scoring. He was <laughs> gone. I had never seen him run so fast before. <laughs> that was great. No, that play was awesome. man. so Devin just scored and the receivers and the offense are over on our sidelines, but you know, we're not really watching them yet. Cause it's still early in the possession or whatever. And all of a sudden you just see everybody jump up and rush up. And all of a sudden it's like, Steve caught a pick. And then like everybody on the offense, just like damn near rushed the field. Yeah. <laughs> like almost got like a sideline warning. For real. So happy about him. But like, I think the fact that we all knew that Steve had the chance to get an interception as an offense, like, why would I know that? You know, but I think that's kind of like, you know, builds up the, the situation. Steve had an opportunity. It ended up being perfect. And then he got to take one to the crib. Like it was wow. so perfect. Wow. It was great. We talked about it last week. I mean, talk about next man up mentality. That was a position that was manned at the beginning of the season or was supposed to be positioned a man by Noah Spence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Ohio state leads at this point, 34, 21, and Joshua, was this where the Darren Lee trash talking to Lane Kiffin took place? Uh, do you remember it was specifically in this game or just give us a little bit of a taste on, on what was said and maybe you don't have to know the exact time of the game, but, but, but talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact time of the game. Darren Lee was uh, motor mouth. So, uh, he, you know, he's a guy who's always talking shit. But I not think a Glenville that, guy, though. No, not a Glenville no. guy. New Albany guy, surprisingly. New Albany guy, right. And I don't think oh, there's a lot of people from right. New Albany who really know how to talk no. shit. Those are some rich, about Columbus. rich insults. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. I got more money than you. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 exactly my my daddy's company is better than your daddy's yeah, company. Exactly. It's, it's the, the shit talking going on there. Um, but Darren... And I don't know why he he had this bone to pick with Lane Kiffin, but he was telling him like your shitty play caller, you know, like basically called him a bitch once, I think, too, just for oh, no right. reason. Um, he made this this spectacular play on a bubble and Darren Lee, part of his job plan uh, outside linebacker out there was to eliminate all bubbles like that was in the job description. And so he you know, was very intent on eliminating all bubbles. So they tried to run one. He tackles it. And then he he looks at Lane Kiffin and is like, don't run that fucking play again. Basically told him to take it <laughs> off the call sheet. Um, so that was that was pretty spectacular. Just, you know, the 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 balls you have to have to look at yeah. the opposing coach and be like, hey, don't you think about calling that shit again. <laughs> Lane Kiffin, my 401k is outperforming yours. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to acquire <laughs> right now. Quarter. <laughs> my annual yield is higher. I swear. Um, well. Alabama answers with a touchdown drive of their own, and it's 34-28 going into the fourth quarter. The teams trade punts back and forth, and before – excuse me, they, they trade punts back and forth before Von Bell picks off an Alabama pass in the end zone. And in a game full of iconic plays, this is an underrated play because Alabama could have taken the lead and yeah. momentum in the fourth quarter. They were driving that, that, that possession, too. I, yeah. I definitely remember how huge that play was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and Von Bell isn't somebody that we've discussed uh, very much. I mean, any stories of Von Bell that you guys can share? I, we know he's from Tennessee, and he looked like he was headed to Alabama before Urban got him to commit to the Buckeyes. Anything? I know I didn't ask you this in the pre-production meeting. No, you're good. Von Bell that we can share or that uh, stands out. I know he's playing for the Bengals right now. He's in yeah. Bengals now. Was with yeah. the Saints for a while. Yeah. Justin probably got way more in-depth stuff that, than I do, but I. I just know that Vaughn was definitely had a, a little bit of another personal bone to pick, right? And wanting to put yeah. some better film out there than he than he had in the um, uh, the bowl game <laughs> the year prior. Sure. Um, Sammy um, was Sammy, Sammy Watkins. Watkins. <laughs> Sammy was Watkins <laughs> that yeah. game, but uh, you know I think that you know plays like that interception and you know just the whole game as in and of itself. You know Vaughn wanted to go out there and prove that he was one of the nation's best safeties and um you know hell i think his his, his career uh post playing at ohio state and in his performance in that game as well was a perfect example of that yeah sure. von bell uh take care of your body kind of guy um you know very serious about the way that he was physically put together and, and he had to grind to get um you know to look like a damn ohio state safety von bell might have been and i don't want to say this in a way that would disparage anybody else. But he, I think he was probably the smartest player on our defense that year. Um, wow. Great study habits, new football, understood how coverage worked, understood how um, understood how pass rush worked, understood all the blitzes. He understood all of our run responsibilities. Like Von Bell was a guy that was locked in on everything that was going on in the field to the point where he probably was the most intelligent football mind on our defense that year. Well, teams, the, the teams trade punts, and here we are again, another famous play in Buckeye lore. 
OSU gets the ball back, and with three minutes left in the game, Ezekiel Elliott runs 85 yards for a touchdown, which is famously called 85 yards through the heart of the South. And after a key two-point conversion, Ohio State leads 42 to 28. Now, you know it's a big play when it's got its own name. (laughs) Evan, do you want to describe that play? As you told me offline that it didn't start out the way that it was supposed to, but obviously we're glad it ended the way that it did. And quite honestly, the fact that it was done the way that it was allowed me to not get counted in the box. So the linebackers didn't account for me. So, but to back up a little bit, right. There's, there's my uh, uh, shout out to Cardell for the mistake. Anyway, <laughs> getting into the mistake, yeah. we, we definitely had a little Z in motion signaled into our, uh, uh, in, in, into our play call, which means I take a wide split and I Z myself in not across the, the football, but right. into a short split so that we can seal the edge with the linebackers and we can run right off of my block. Definitely better off that I wasn't in there because that is fucking, right. That is high alert for crack. Exactly. <laughs> Every time. Exactly. Anytime I get anywhere close to the box, yeah, those guys immediately go to me and they count me and then, yeah. you know, Probably yep. doesn't happen that way. But since Cardell forgot to motion and then just went ahead and snapped the ball anyways, <laughs> I proceed to start freaking the fuck out. <laughs> and I go as fast as I humanly can to get in there and get to my responsibility. Now, it ended up working because the the uh, uh, the exchange between running back to quarterback took a little bit longer. Zeke kind of had like a read step a little bit in there so that right when he hit it was the same time that I hit the – uh, the play side linebacker. What I didn't know is that the, he was on the same level with the linebacker to the left of him. And both of them hit me and, you know, I'm like, boom, boom fantastic. Wait, and I got two yeah. and all of a sudden the freaking ceiling pops off and I turn around <laughs> lose my mind and start chasing the play. But yeah, no, an accident that definitely turned out for the better for us, for yeah, sure. A happy that, accident. I know, right? That accident was I was I was so stressed, though. I mean, because imagine like, you know, this is a momentum type of drive and I'm looking at Cardell, like waiting for my mo- and He looked me in the eyes, too. I'm like, yeah. but like motion me. No, no, no. Yeah. It, it, but, it, you know, it, it, it would be like a like a third and short. And we're supposed to like the, the D line is supposed to shift or whatever. And nobody ever makes that call, and you're like, right. "Fuck!" Like, how are we going to cover these guys? But then, <laughs> right. you're like, "I got a long way to go." You know, it just like you're able to pick off pullers or whatever from where right. you were aligned to begin with. Yeah, it's it's. Right. I would say, uh, just from like knowing the the behind the scenes on that from a defensive standpoint, it definitely worked out better. Because to your point, like they they can't anticipate it's coming, but the way it developed, you said it like you picked off two guys, and I'm not exactly sure that you're able to the one of the linebackers is going to know to try to get over the top, whether mm-hmm. it's the front side or the backside backer, but with not having any knowledge of what you're going to do, neither one of them know to look to the outside and right. they both get picked off. Yeah. Well, we are glad that it ended the way that it did. It's the difference in the game, but Alabama doesn't go away. The Crimson Tide drives 65 yards with a touchdown. They cut the lead to 42 35. And then we've got the onside kick coming up. And it's recovered. Most stressful time of my life. (laughs) It's unbelievable. I mean, it's 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 recovered by Evan Spencer. I mean, seriously, good lord, what a game! Can you take us through the onside kick? You know, you're going to get sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, but honestly, going into it, you're not 100 percent sure. I mean, there's two guys, right? You're not 100 percent sure which side they're going to go to. So it's like a 50 50 chance, and I don't know who the other guy was, but 
Sure enough, that that sucker puts it right there on the hash, looks me dead in the eye again. I'm like, fuck, here we go. He's coming right at me. And, um, you know, he puts foot on the ball, and it is probably one of the the, the most perfect onside kicks I've, I've probably ever seen. The hop. And it, oh, it was incredible. But yeah. it was it was placed such that I couldn't rush it and, like, rush it, fall on it, game yeah. over. It was far in front of me that I wasn't going to be able to do that. And if I did it, it'd kick over my head. So I'm just sitting there like, all right, dude, I got to high point this thing. And, you know, the whole game's on the line. So I jump and, you know, by the grace of God or my hand position or whatever, the ball, like imagine I'm, you know, I'm trying to describe it here. My, my hand being wide open and the V of my hand between my thumb and my finger, the ball point hit it perfectly. And like, I was able to cradle it so that when the Alabama player tried to rip it out of my hands, when we were high pointing the ball, I had it like as if yeah. I was about to throw it. So it wasn't coming out. And then I fall on it and I do my little gangster walk away. Cause I feel cool <laughs> about myself and then smash my head on the ground the next play. So there's that, but um, <laughs> it was very stressful and a, and, and a fun, fun little time. Well, Evan, you have a touchdown pass. You throw the key block to spring Ezekiel Elliott's 85-yard touchdown run, mm-hmm. and you recover the onside kick. And I should have had a one-handed catch from the second play of the game. That would have been ESPN. I'd have had one and two, I think, of ESPN. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> ju- ju- just another day at the office, right? I, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, definitely. Well, shit, my, my freshman, and now granted, 22 balls, they threw me my senior year, right? Yeah. So not getting the rock a lot. My freshman year, I was my first game was on t- uh, East Sports Center top 10, whatever. So yeah, and and I got a little coach. resume there. Yeah. So statistics aside, is this your best game you've ever played? 100%, top to bottom, okay. right? Because like, like, I approached it as my job is going to be diverse and I'm kicking somebody's ass every play, right? Yeah. Whatever it is that's asked of me, I'm going to try to do it to my best of my abilities. And I was able to. And look, back right you know how many people 28 point whatever million people were watching that game and that was the opportunity that was the environment that i had my best performance in like yeah what else do you ask for you know what i mean well it doesn't go unnoticed as coach meyer pays you the ultimate compliment in his book and i think he's got some statistics wrong when he says evan was one of those players who made my belief in this team so deep he would do whatever it took to to help his unit and help his team Evan was an outstanding blocker and would finish his senior season with just 15 catches in our 15 yeah. games. Yeah, something like that. Though he may not have put up gaudy numbers, everyone on our team would tell you that he was one of the best football players we had. An MVP type guy to the core. You can't measure everything by the numbers. Yeah. So some high praise by an I very iconic coach. Still like not well deserved. So it feels weird to hear. And yeah. you know, I, I'm still not good at responding to that level sure. of, uh, of accolade. Um, well, I guess I deserve it, but you do deserve um, it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just my dudes and the, the mission and, and the jobs that we're all asked of was more important than, you know, my personal want to really. And at the end of the day, that's what wins games. Well, I told you offline and I don't want to give any of the fans any ideas, but if you and Joshua ever have to buy a beer in Columbus after the games that you guys have had, I'd be very disappointed in the fans. So, um, (laughs) Sure. Finishing up virtual COVID beers or something. (laughs) Finishing up Alabama gets the ball back with one minute and 33 seconds to go, but a hail Mary at the end of the game is intercepted by Tyvis Powell and the good guys win. 4235. Now I mean, let me I, let me say something before we get please. into all the you know stats the after. So Tyvis Powell, love him to death, one of my boys talk very highly of him. He's a fucking idiot. Because <laughs> he, oh. 
he got that interception and brought it out of the he end. Did. Yeah, we were he, all like, he, he told me he was around. trying to score a touchdown. Tyvis, we won the fucking game. Get down. Don't be selfish. He, he got cussed that. out. Slick cussed out by Chris <laughs> Ash for doing that. Chris Ash unloaded on him. Yeah. He's like, Tyvis, you could have lost us the game. You could have fumbled the ball. And Tyvis was like, coach, I was just trying to score. <laughs> yeah, I'm that end zone one way or the other. And then <laughs> Eli Apple's a damn idiot because he's out there oh, lead man. blocking for him. Everybody else is like, bro, get down. And Eli's like, no, I'm going to throw a block. And two of them were in their own world, clearly. <laughs> so set that scene for me in the locker room. What is that like? Man, what? How do you describe I mean, that little weak ass locker room we were in too. Terrible locker room. It's an Terrible NFL locker room. locker room. That's amazing. But oh, it's awful. The, yeah. the building is from yeah. the 18, you know, 94 yeah, or something, right, right. 125 years right. old. Worst, worst lighting positions in, in any indoor facility I've ever been in, too. You yeah. look up and it's like God staring at you. Season, so. You have to catch a punt. It's like the worst room. thing in the world. Yeah. And the seats, they're all different colors in there. It's a oh, bad yeah. facility, but the locker room is so tight. So we didn't give a fuck. We were, we were, you know, knocking over lockers. We were going crazy. <laughs> yeah, we were, we going were, ham. we were spilling out into the, uh, into like the corridor and there's media out there. We didn't give a damn if they were watching. Yeah. And then all, you know, many of us have to do media availability after these games. So we go up to the podium and we talk, whatever, and we're just enjoying, but like it was how quickly can we have our little celebration, get our sweats on, get back to the hotel and tear up Bourbon Street because it's about to go went, down. Because we only went parents. out the first day. That's what I was getting ready to say. I saw my parents and I spent some time with them and it was awesome. And we, I mean, those are the moments I damn cherish, but my ass was in the streets. Oh, I mean, so like, again, I, I had the chance to live it up with my parents in that lock in the, in the, um, in the hotel lobby or whatever right afterwards. And it was awesome. The same race was on to get dressed and get get out there. Yes. And in the national championship, I actually did have more time to to spend the night with my parents. So you know, still yeah. had a chance. You know, we were drinking. Yeah. It was a race to bourbon. bourbon. Trust and yep. believe that. Well, one last thing before I throw some stats out at you because we're we're running a little long here. But I I asked you guys this question yesterday, and after such a momentous win, a win that validates all of your hard work up to this point, is there someone? besides your parents in particular, and you can say your parents anyway, that you're looking for after the game to have an embrace, a discussion and kind of like, we did it type of conversation. Was there somebody that you especially looked for or valued? So I'll, I'll draw this, this parallel. Um, the last bowl game we had played in, there were guys sitting out on the beach behind the hotel um, consuming whatever they like to consume, commiserating and talking about how we'll never feel that way again. And then you juxtapose it against this, which was the biggest victory we had ever had up to that point. Our first victory in a bowl game under Urban Meyer. And we're sitting back talking, I'm talking to some of my guys on the team about what we had just accomplished. So I think for me, it's the contrast between the bowl game from 2013 to the bowl game in 2014, and just the, the the tenor of the conversation and, you know, like guys are, are literally drinking their feelings on the beach yeah. in Miami in one scene and the other one we're you know, we're, we're having a serious conversation about where we can go, but like, you know, we're, we're taking shots in celebration. It's right. two completely different feelings. That's yeah. what I say. Like, just like the persons that we, that we wanted to be with were each other because that feeling, nobody else felt that nobody and I'm sure other people can say that they have felt and they have, but 
you know, you ask any of us, nobody has ever felt the way that we felt when we got gutted against Michigan State and, and what that means to all of us. And the guys that left it didn't have the chance to win the next year and what that yeah. meant to them. Yeah. So for us, it was, you know, let's go out to Bourbon Street, yeah, Sheets or whatever, but it's it's the camaraderie, right? Like we did what seemed impossible for Cardell, for Josh, for Von Bell, for Nick Sarek, for Kevin sure. Niehoff, for all for of those guys, because yeah. they pour their heart and souls into getting everybody ready for this as well. Well, finishing up with some stats, 28 straight points scored against the number one team in the country. This is a fun one. 21-6 is the largest comeback for Ohio State since 1989. And this is against the number one team in the country. It kind of speaks to the program's sustained strength over the years. Defensively, here, this is crazy. Alabama is two for 13 on third down. And coming into the game, Alabama is second in the country in third down efficiency, second in the country. And you guys hold them to two of 13. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were number one, number two, you know, top 10, a lot of different statistical categories until they met the fucking Buckeyes. Right. Number one in hype. I'll tell you that. Silver bullets. Um, Yeah. Forced three turnovers, all interceptions. Steve Miller, as we said before, has an interception for a touchdown. And some defensive player stats. Darren Lee has seven tackles, two sacks, three tackles for a loss. Ball. Won the Sugar Bowl uh, most defensive, or excuse me, won the Sugar Bowl defensive most valuable player. And he's obviously the most valuable trash talker. Yeah. And friend of the program, Curtis Grant leads the team with 10 tackles. Von Bell has eight. Duran Grant has seven. Joshua and Eli Apple have five. Offensively, Zeke which we'll talk about next week, runs for 220 and two TDs. Cardell throws for 257 and one TD. Mike Thomas has seven catches and a touchdown from Evan. Devin Smith has two catches and a touchdown himself. Sean Nuremberger has two field goals. So, first of all, what a game. Mm -hmm. Um, In closing, even though we covered a lot, Anything happen in this most iconic of games, either in the game or in practice, that the fans don't know about at this point? I'll I'll jump in on this one. It's not something that people wouldn't know about, but you read Devin Smith, two catches and a touchdown. Uh, The point where I knew that Alabama's defense was going to be in for a long day is when I saw Devin Smith running by defensive backs like they were playing for Wisconsin. And, you know, it's, it goes back right. to the SEC speed thing. Right. But, like, he wasn't supposed to be able to do that. Right. They, they had All-American guys playing in their secondary. Yeah. And he was torching them the same way he was torching anybody else. If you and, go back and watch how we were running routes on those guys, like, yeah. that was the weak link on their defense. And we wanted to just, you know, dig into it. And But I think it just really goes to show, like, our, as Evan likes to say, our chess pieces were every bit as good or better than theirs. But I think that also goes back to our preparation because getting open on somebody isn't just running by them. Because if I, if I know somebody's running a deep route, I know I can stay on top. As, even if I'm slower than Devin, I can stay on top. It is the technique that you use to be able to create that amount of separation. That was the key for me. It, yeah. it's, amazing. it's amazing to me because, as we said before, Urban is a receivers coach to the core. Nick Saban himself is a defensive back coach to his yep. core. And you know he's not going to be trotting out, you know, average players to that position. Oh, yeah. So, they got some dudes back there now. Like God. I said, Eddie Jackson's still playing. Um, I can't even remember. Was it uh, Landon Collins? Was he on that C- defense? Yeah, C. J. he Young, was. C.Y. Young, something like that. C.J. Mosley. 
Uh, no, no, no. I'm thinking oh, of the corner. Damn. Oh. Well, I know the, the dude Mike dunked on. I can't remember his name. Not D Milner, right? It was just number five. That's all okay. I remember. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got for you. Well, this feels like more than a good stopping place. Any final words of wisdom, especially as the Buckeyes get ready to play in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern? Yeah. Um, I mean, words of wisdom really are just that, like, you know, here's the importance of every play from the standpoint of practice all the way to the game, right? Like once you get into this game, like this is the start of championship season. Your, your resume is every decision that you make out there on the field. Right. But that's Mm -hmm. also in practice and it starts on Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. And that's physical mistakes that that cleans itself up towards the end of the week. And then you go out there and do what you've been doing. We haven't had all the games everybody else has. We haven't been able to, you know, look like we normally would in in a normal environment, but at the end of the day, you guys are good enough and the jobs that are in front of you are good enough to go win a championship. So, you know, focus in on, you know, put your blinders on, focus in on your, on your deal and, you know, go out there and compete. You know, you guys are, you guys are trained well. How about you, Joshua? We know you'll be doing some analysis for BTN. Uh, Any, any closing thoughts as the Buckeyes face Northwestern this week? Yeah, it's, it's just to keep everything in front of you. I, I feel like we, you know, we start to get a little bit of broad vision, but um, what's in front of you is your independent matchup. What's in front of you is the the play that you're getting ready to line up for. What's in front of you is the quarter that you're getting ready to close out and enter the next quarter. Like, I think that's kind of uh, the game of football is, you know, like, let's let's keep all of our opportunities right in front of us. And then we knock those down one by one. Yeah. Um, and you know, I like I like the makeup of the current team specifically as, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, right now because <laughs> that's all they can do. And that's all they've had to do in a year where they've only played five games up to the point where they're competing for a conference championship. So yeah. it's that same mentality. You know, it's hard playing football and just going out to practice. I said this earlier every damn day and not being able to play in a game. Um, but I also think that it prepares you for when you finally do get that chance to play in a game, like, you know, those reps are valuable and precious. And that would be my advice. Just focus. Well, guys, I can't believe I'm saying this, but next week we conclude our season long look at the 2014 national champions with a very special look at the first ever college football championship game against the Oregon ducks. In addition to discussing that game in detail, as mentioned this week, we are moving our Ezekiel Elliott discussion to next week, and we'll also take a look at some of the Buckeyes' philanthropic efforts off the field. It's a very special episode that you will not want to miss. All of this and more on the next episode of the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer, hosted by Chris Caldwell and presented by Branch Insurance, coverage you need, savings you deserve. So Glory Days fans, insurance companies have figured out a way to make saving money on insurance complicated. Branch has changed that by simplifying the whole process of getting home and auto insurance. No complicated forms, no waiting on hold for long, 
no salesy talks with a representative. This means you go to their website, answer two quick questions, and they'll give you an instant price, not a quote like some other insurance company, the actual price you'll pay. Branch is home and auto insurance that's simple to buy and build for savings. For better coverage, better rates, and a better experience, visit ourbranch.com forward slash glory. That's O-U-R branch.com forward slash glory.